people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with Elizabeth Lennard all about her film Tokyo Melody, which is playing at the Japan Cuts Film Festival, which is taking place from July 26th through August 6th. For more information, visit elizabethlennard.com. That's L-E-N-N-A-R-D. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Can you tell me how you got into visual arts? I really got into visual arts very young. I went to San Francisco Art Institute, and then I went to UC Santa Cruz and UCLA Film School. So I always wanted to be an artist and a filmmaker since I was very young. I I did light shows in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 60s when I was very young. I've always been interested in the art and in film. You're mostly known as a photographer. Is that where you started, or did you start in the filmmaking? I could say I started as a photographer, but because I was making light show movies in the 60s, I was also doing little films and films at art school. But the first film I actually made, I made with my sister. It was a fairy tale, Brothers Grimm, Two Sisters, and that was in 1975, so I was very young. Good sport. Can you tell me about the Edwin S. Porter film and how that came about? It's Charlie Musser, Charles Musser, who made the film about the history of cinema and early cinema, let's say, very early cinema. And I knew Charlie Musser in New York. I think he might have did the editing on a short film liner. I don't know what came first. But in any case, he was one of the first people to find the paper negatives of Edwin Porter at the Library of Congress before everything was online. It was just paper negatives. And so, of course, everything was in black and white, and he didn't have anything in color. So he approached me, and he asked me if I would be willing to paint the black and white stills that he had to give the film some color. We are talking pre-Photoshop, way pre-Photoshop, and I was already painting my black and white photographs, and he knew that. I worked with him, and he managed to get the photographs on the right kind of paper. I had to use I have to use a certain kind of paper to be able to paint them. People think today because Photoshop is 
quotes unquote very quick. But painting photographs take some time, but I enjoy doing it. So it's not that, doesn't take that long. Again, if you compare, obviously you can do everything with a click these days, but I enjoy painting photographs. Well, I still do. How long did that take you? That's a really hard question. I know I worked on it over several months and Charlie was probably already editing it at the time. So I don't, I can't really remember the chronology. It must have taken several months. I do remember being in the studio and painting those photographs and then they have to draw. That's a different story. It's oil paint and people are really surprised that it's oil paint on black and white photographs because now everything is Photoshop or whatever, but it, it has to dry. So it takes a few weeks for it to dry, each one. And how did Tokyo Mel- Melody come about? I had been at the Cannes Film Festival in 1983, and they were showing Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. And I happened to be there. Maybe I was showing a short film. I can't remember exactly. And I was bowled over by seeing Ryuchi Sakamoto for the first time and hearing his music. And at the screening, there happened to be two women producers who I knew a little bit from the kind of experimental part of French TV called L'Institut National de l'Audiovisuel, INA. They were also incredibly impressed by Reach Sakamoto and the film and the music. I ran into them after the screening and they said, Elizabeth, if you have any way of finding Sakamoto, we, maybe we could find a way to produce a film about him. So that doesn't happen every day that somebody offers to find a way to produce a film. And so it didn't go into a deaf year, as they say here. But I had no idea how to find Ryuchi Sakamoto. And again, we're pre-internet, pre... I think there were... Maybe there were faxes, but not... I think it was telex. I think fax was just an idea. Not everybody had a fax, Anyway, so I said, oh, great. <laughs> and I had no idea how to meet him, but I happened to be going to New York because at the time I was still living between New York and Paris. And I went to New York and I went to Odeon's restaurant. And at the next table, there was a man who I had known in Los Angeles when I was going to UCLA film school and doing record covers. I was doing hand-painted record covers and I did the cover for... Peter Frampton and Tim Curry's first solo album that was in the 70s and it was often for A&M Records I don't know if they I think they still are there but anyway so there was a man who had been already maybe the vice president of A&M Records or something who happened to be at the next table and so he was a record person who I knew and that Jeff Eroff and I said hi do you have any way for me to find to contact Miyuchi Sakamoto, and he said, you're really in luck because at this table, there's somebody named Kiki Miyake. And Kiki Miyake had been the Yellow Magic Orchestra's tour manager or somebody on their tour. I'm not sure what her exact job was. And she knew them from the 70s, and she's a Japanese-American. And so I met Kiki, and Kiki said, okay, I can try to set up a meeting. And Ryuchi Sakamoto was actually going to be traveling to Berlin to record an album with David Sylvian, Forbidden Colors, because they had just 
they had done the music for Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, but they were releasing an album afterwards, and I think it's Forbidden Color. So they were in the studio in Berlin. So then I had just gotten to New York. I said, okay, I can try to get to Berlin. So I managed to get to Berlin, and then I managed to meet Ryuichi Sakamoto. And the only thing I could really show him were my photographs because I had made some little films, but you couldn't carry your films around with you on your phone at the time. There was no, it didn't even occur to me to try to show him a film. He was in the recording studio. And again, we're, we're talking about a time when you didn't carry a fill can with you unless you had to show somewhere. I showed him my hand-painted photographs of New York, and he really liked them. And he said, yes, come to Tokyo, and we can discuss it further. And so that's how I met him. So how was it kind of building trust with Sakamoto to be able to film him and get that kind of behind the veneer look at this artist? At the time, because Ryuichi Sakamoto later on, he moved to New York and he, I think he spoke, his English was quite good. But at the time he had learned, I think, some English for the film for Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, but he really didn't, he was very shy with his English. He really didn't speak English and I didn't speak Japanese. And Kiki Miyake did come with us to Japan to, and she was there for some of the filming. She was, I think he was very comfortable with me. I had a very small team. This is this experimental part of French TV that usually, these are small budget projects, but again, at the time you needed a budget to make any kind of film. It's on film, it's 16 millimeter film. So I had a small crew, a camera of, we were four people. I don't think I'm a very intimidating person. <laughs> so usually people ask me where the director is when I'm directing a film. He was comfortable, I think, with us. And I had a very nice line producer who had done lots of films and was always trying to make everybody comfortable. And it was very, I think he enjoyed it because he never used to, for example, there's a scene with him taking the subway. And you have to understand that at the time, he was already very famous in Japan. His group, the Yellow Magic Orchestra, was like the Beatles of Japan. That's what I was told. Even though Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence was the first sort of international film where people saw him. And YMO, Yellow Magic Orchestra, had been on a tour in the United States. He was going on to begin his solo career and but so he would he was in his own private limousine he didn't take the subway he was not walking around in the street he was never out because that he had too many fans that was another really lucky thing because i wanted to film him in the subway and i think we were only allowed to do one or two stops because they were worried about crowd control and there wasn't very much time. So we were very lucky because we got into the subway. Ryuchi Sakamoto hadn't taken the subway for years. And there happened to be an ad with his photo in it. So I don't, it, there's a short moment where he sees the ad and that was just luck. And I think he was amused by it. And we took him to the Eiffel Tower of Tokyo called Tokyo Tower. He never gets to go to these places. There's too much of a crowd that would gather around him. So 
We took him there. He was amused. But after about 20 minutes, a huge crowd of kids gathered around. And so we had to leave. And the same thing at Shinjuku Square. Shinjuku Square, you see him finding a postcard on the ground. And there's a screen behind him where there's ads and things that he's in. And that we had to rent. This is not done post-production, that thing. Again, post-production, of course, special effects exist to be since King Kong or since cinema exists, but we definitely didn't have any budget for special effects. So we rented that screen above him and we put in, my line producer went up there and we had 45 minutes and I don't think we even had walkie-talkies or anything like that or let alone let alone cell phones. And we were told to do it very early in the morning, again, because of crowd control. So we got there maybe 7 a.m., but already after 10 minutes, there were a few young groupies who were in tears sitting in front of them with emotion, emotionally moved by seeing But I almost wonder, because there's so much of Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence in the movie, I almost wonder if David Bowie knew what a huge personality he had scoring the movie that he was in. It sounds like these are, they're almost comparable between Japan and well, England and the rest of the world for David Bowie. That's a good point. Actually. I never thought about that. I think obviously Ryuchi Sakamoto definitely knew who David Bowie was. You're absolutely right. But did David Bowie know Ryuchi Sakamoto? I don't know. I think they, I think when Ryuchi Sakamoto moved to New York, then maybe he got to be friends with him. I don't know. That's just hypothesis because I don't really know. But that's a very good point. I don't know. But obviously, Ryuchi Sakamoto knew David Bowie was. Where did you get your crew? Cause are they Japanese people or are you bringing them with you? This is this part of experimental part of French TV, which is also French TV archive. So that's where all of the archives are French TV. But they had on staff crew. I had a very nice producer there, Muriel Jose, and she chose their people are on salary. It's I don't know if that exists how that works in the United States anymore. Maybe for news they have people on salary. Obviously the, there are people on salary at U, US television still, but they are people who are on salary and so there are various reasons why this crew works with this they want to have a steady job. Not all crew members, directors of photography, cinematographers are, they're freelance mostly. And so some people need a steady job, which is understandable. So I, they were, they came from Ina, except for my editor, because I needed an editor who spoke Japanese, because the film is mostly in Japanese. There's not that much talking. So there I was incredibly fortunate because there was at the time a Japanese editor who was based in France. So she was definitely not an on-staff person, Makiko Suzuki. And she, of course, loved Ryuchi Sakamoto. So she edited the film afterwards when I came back from Tokyo. How was Ryuchi Sakamoto to work with? You know, he was adorable. What can I say? Everything went completely smoothly. I shot the film in seven days. And I think with him, we had four days. It was very fast. And again, we're on film. The shots where you see Tokyo, where he's not in the shot, 
like she wasn't there on those days. The thing about films is even documentaries and probably even more so today, you do have to write something, do a project and say, this is what you'd like to do. And even if it's an art documentary, you have to put it down on paper. Um, what I find in hindsight is that in the end, the films actually do look like what the project was. So the project was Sounds of Tokyo and a Portrait of Ryuchi Sakamoto. I did ask him if he had any suggestions of places he thought it would be good to film. So he suggested going to, I don't know if you remember, but there's one short scene where you see some apartment buildings that are cement and there's a pan down and it's colored in a color. And he said that was known as the suicide apartment where people would go sadly to jump off and commit suicide. So I asked, I suggested where should I go to film in Tokyo? He said, why don't you go there? So that's one of the places he's guessed. Once the film wraps, what's the history of it? I imagine it had to have played French television. It was on French television. It was shown, actually was shown in film festivals all over the world, I have to say, because I was just asked recently and I had to look up. I had forgotten, but I do save all of these things. And so it was incredible the number of film festivals where it was shown, but it was never distributed. And now with Ryuchi Sakamoto's widow and agent, we're trying to organize uh, a release. It's not even a re-release to release it, possibly even in movie theaters in Japan, hopefully in North America, but we're working on that. I heard you had some troubles even finding a print. I actually had that print that's going to be shown at the Japan Society in my basement. I hadn't obviously opened it, and the person who's organizing the screening at the Japan Society, Alexander Fee, put me in touch with a film, I don't know, organization, and they were willing to check the print to see if it was screenable. We did check it, and he checked it in New York, so hopefully the film won't break while we're showing it. I shouldn't say that. Fingers crossed, that play. How is it revisiting it 40 years later and seeing it again with older eyes? It's really amazing for me because I knew that it had been on YouTube. This, I just, And I didn't know who watched it, who had seen it. But actually, because of this, because of the sad passing of Ryuchi Sakamoto and because of the screening and the interest in possibly re-releasing it, I, fa- I find many people have seen it and are interested in it and know the film. So it's quite amazing, actually. I think that we did what we set out to do. And when you make a film, I just finished a film, okay, which has not been released. And the film is called Rosal Suitcase. And usually I make documentaries about artists or painters or musicians, people. But this one, I actually, it's actually about my own past, my own, because I'm about my own family, my Viennese heritage, because my father was Viennese. And when I was making the film, I compared it to Tokyo Melody in the sense that I spent a lot of time in Vienna and I don't really speak German. I speak a little bit of German, but not very much. And it's also the film shows Vienna. And so I thought, Gosh, this is like Tokyo Melody in the sense that it's a film about a person, actually my own family, 
And I include my 60s light show movies and things like that, the psychedelic San Francisco and Austrian secessionism. But I'm getting off the subject, but there's something comparable for me in Roses. You were getting off the subject, but you were answering my next question, which is what are you working on lately? So I'm so glad to hear that you're still making films, and this one sounds fascinating. Thank you for being curious about it. I really hope this one gets released. It's just it's just barely, it's almost finished, but we're trying to get it in film festival. And this one's a real feature, 97 minutes. And uh, yeah, I kept going on and I just, I have two art shows on. One, it went in Arl, it's just a, a photo festival in Arl, and one in Ek on Provence, which is near Arl. They both just opened in June. And so I still, I'm still doing the same thing. Is the best place for people to keep up with you and your work? Is that your website? You know, my website, it's gotten old and I haven't renewed it, but I guess Google. (laughs) I mean, there are things on Google. There are not that many Elizabeth Lenards, you know, my name. I'm somehow lucky in that sense. There are a couple of other ones, but some people's names, when you Google them, there's so many, you don't know who's who. Like Mike White. I don't know about you. You must not be the only like white. Oh, no, no. We are legion. So that must be difficult. I don't know if our mothers thought of this when they named our, our pet. I've been to your site and it's fantastic. I love looking at all the photographs. I hope to be able to see them in person one of these days. And I really hope to see your new film. Thank you. I hope you get to see it. Ms. Leonard, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. Thank you for your curiosity. 